Now take your Bibles and open to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, and children are dismissed right now. As you turn to the book of Acts and chapter 4 today, Acts and chapter 4. Today, I want to tell you a story. It's a story from long ago and far away. It's a time I like to call when the church was young and bold. And the heart of it is in Acts chapter 4, verses 9 through 33. But let me set you up with a brief flyover. The physician Luke, they say, wrote the book of Acts. He wrote Luke and Acts. Almost half of the New Testament, Luke and Acts. Soon we'll make our way through the book of Luke together one chunk at a time. It's going to take three and a half years. <laughs> going to preach through the book of Luke. I know you thought I was kidding, but I'm serious. We're going to go through the book of Luke. But to set that up, we're going to go through, we're going to, we're going to have an introduction from the book of Acts. The, they call it the Acts of the Apostles. Sometimes people call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And it's travel narrative. It's fascinating, fast-moving. It's one story after another about when the church was young and bold. And it begins with the ascension. The story begins with the ascension of Christ when Christ went back to heaven. And before he went back to heaven, he gave the Great Commission, chapter 1, verse 7. He said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed in his authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And that happened, and that's why we're here, because the Jesus story of the resurrection was told around the world. And so they saw these things. Jesus was taken up from them into heaven, and the angel said he's going to come back in the way that he was taken up in heaven, and then they chose Matthias to, to replace Judas, and the sad end of Judas is recorded there. And then the promise of the Father was given. The Old Testament says that God would send his Holy Spirit in a unique way to indwell every believer, and he, and he does that, and it's recorded in an amazing narrative in Acts chapter 2. People from all over the, the, near, the ancient Near East came, and the Holy Spirit came in demonstrative power, and then it, 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 it inspired Peter to preach a sermon. Can you imagine? Peter gets up. This is Peter, the guy who denied Christ. But now filled with the Holy Spirit as a witness of the resurrection, he's ready to die. And every time he gets a chance, he's preaching. And it ain't private. It's public preaching. And he stands up in chapter 2 and verse 14, and he describes what's happening. And he, he gets really direct in chapter uh, 2. It's recorded in verse 23. And his message takes a turn, and he, he, he assigns guilt to the people who are present. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God, he's alive. God raised him up. It's pretty shocking boldness, isn't it, for a guy who denied the Lord? And now he's looking him in the eye and saying, you killed him, and God raised him from the dead. Very bold. And the story goes on. P Peter and... Uh, 
John, we're going to the temple, chapter 3. On the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. He fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. Peter said, I have no silver or gold. What, what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It's kind of a cool story, isn't it? It's like, isn't that that guy that always has the sign on the corner? In a wheelchair? What are the crutches? That's... He's got the moves right now. What's, what's going on? It's kind of cool, isn't it? And Peter takes advantage of the opportunity to do what? Well, can you guess? Are you guys going to make me like, do all the work and then you're just going to kind of relax? Or gonna, what's he do? What's Peter do, you think? Boldly preaches. Oh, here's a preaching opportunity. He's got a public. Oh, you, in case you want to know what the cloven tongues of fire are all about, let me explain that. See, there was this guy, and they crucified him, but he rose again. Oh, and then, oh, in case you want to know about this lame guy, here's what happened. You see, there was this guy, and they crucified him. He rose again. Everywhere Peter goes, he's a, he's a one-hit wonder. There's this guy. They crucified him and buried him, but he rose again. I saw it myself. I was, like, I was there. I saw it. That's the book of Acts. The council convenes now, and they're like, let's talk about this. We have a problem. People are going around here and they're, you know, they're healing the lame and they are not authorized to do so. So we've got to get this stop. It's going to cut into our business. And then chapter four, they're speaking to the people, priest and the captain of the temple, the Sadducees. By the way, what was Peter preaching? The resurrection. Why were the Sadducees sad? You remember what your Sunday school teacher told you? They're sad, you see, because they don't believe. You remember that, right? They don't believe in a resurrection. They were speaking to the people, priests, and the captain of the temple. The Sadducees came greatly annoyed. Wouldn't they just tick you off? Where is, where is our lame guy today? Where is our lame guy? Where's our crippled guy? This is what the Bible calls him. Well, he's not here anymore because those people that you don't approve of they healed, they healed him in the name of the Jesus. They said, you know, the one who died and rose again. We don't believe people rise again. This kind of thing. They were annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were going, Jesus rose from the dead and you can rise from the dead too because there is a resurrection. And that annoyed them. And they arrested them. Oh, are you serious? Why did you get arrested? Well, it was annoying the Pharisees preaching about the resurrection. Oh, okay. Well, they arrested them, put him in custody till the next day because it was evening. But many of those who heard the word believed. A number of the men came to about 5,000. Next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were in the high priest family. They were like, all the big dogs were there. <laughs> Peter... <laughs> what do you think he's going to do? He's going to preach, you know, he's going to pray. Oh, Peter, oh, we have a, we have a crowd. <laughs> and all the big dogs are here. 
Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning the good deed done to this crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that I got game. No, that's not what he says. He immediately says, if you want to understand what's going on here, let me explain it to you. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, incidentally, whom you crucified, whom God, <laughs> finger in the eye, whom God raised from the dead, <laughs> by him this man is standing before you well. And Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you and the builders, which has now become the cornerstone. And then he has the boldness to say, and there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by, by which we must be saved. Now that is some bold talk. Oh, the, the lame guy, let me explain this. It was the, it, we did it in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, who you crucified, who, who died and rose again, uh, that one. Oh, and by the way, there's, not, there's no salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men by whom you must be saved, but the name Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. Peter was fairly direct, wouldn't you say? He was fairly clear, wouldn't you say? He was not given a seminary lecture, wouldn't you say? He was cutting it straight. He was just up. He was eyes flaming, firing on all eight cylinders, telling the truth. Now, when they saw, and here in the text, there's something I want you to see today that's repeated three times. And it's repeated, interestingly, the first time it's mentioned, it's in the context of God the Father. I'm sorry, of Jesus Christ. The second time, it's in the context of God the Father. And the third time, can you guess? It's in the context of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. It's Trinitarian. Now, what is that thing? That thing is the thing that I believe God put on my heart to encourage you with and to challenge you with today. Every one of you. Every one of you. To, to increase in this thing. That is mentioned three times here in the heart of our text. Every single one of you, every single one of us needs to increase in this thing. We need to have a dose of what Peter had. And what is that thing? Can anybody guess? Yes, it is. It says this. Now when they saw, circle it with red ink, the boldness of Peter and John perceived they were uneducated common men they were astonished they're like these guys when did he get a phd he doesn't have one of those he's just an un, he's a common guy these are common men they were astonished at their what at their boldness now you know why peter was bold peter was bold it says it repeatedly two things because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Because people that are filled with the Holy Spirit, confident of truth, are, they had boldness. And they also were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. When you, when you see, I, I, I mean, you could kill me if you have to kill me. All I'm saying is I know he was dead. He was not only dead, but tortured, crucified, buried dead, three days. 
And I have seen him alive, and my friends have too. And I heard him teach. I, I, you kill me, but it, I saw it happen. And this was true of all the apostolic witness, and it will be true of every one of you when you are convinced that Jesus is genuinely alive, you will have a unique boldness that you wouldn't normally have. You're like, just, uh, I don't know what's going on in the world, but I know this. There was a man named Jesus. He came to earth. He died for his sins. They, they crucified him. They tried him and tortured him and crucified him and buried him. And he rose again and he's alive and he's coming back. And, you know, all I can say is I believe it's true. And so I love the phrase in verse 12 that says, and they were astonished and recognized, even though they were unlearned and ignorant men. They, they, were, they acknowledged that he, had, that he had what? They had what? Been with Jesus. That's the thing. They'd been with Jesus. I want to tell you the threefold secret of boldness according to this passage. Three ways to increase your boldness and mine. One is intimacy with Jesus Christ. When you have met Jesus yourself, received his forgiveness and love, know the reality of Christ, you will have a boldness you will be willing to die for, even if you are unlearned and ignorant. Now, if you're not unlearned and ignorant, congratulations on your education. I mean, and that's great. I, I don't put that down. But these guys weren't. They didn't have that high level of training. But the compensation was they had been with Jesus. Now, I don't want to get ugly, but wouldn't it be terrible if you were highly educated with deep pockets, or physically powerful, or athletic, or so pretty that you have thousands of Instagram followers, but you never knew Jesus. How sad would that be if you were gaining the whole world, but then lose your own soul? Boldness comes to those who know who Jesus is and who have been with Jesus. A friend of mine said it this way, a person with this true knowledge that Jesus is alive is like they're walking around with a roll of $100 bills in their pocket looking for people to give $100 bills to. They're not shy. They're not embarrassed. They're just whistling. They're walking around with a big smile on their face. They, with the energy, and they got their hand on that roll of bills in their pocket, and they're thinking, anybody want 100 bucks right now? Would you like $100? Can I give you a gift? Yeah, yeah. Lois is over there going, I'm, I'm in line. She'd be the first girl in line on this one. Wouldn't she, Lois? Yes, she would. I'm supposed to leave you out of these, but I slipped. So. Yeah, it's like, yeah, money, I'll take some of that. Yeah. That's the way it is. Okay, but wait a minute. You know the risen Christ personally. That's, more than, that's better than having a roll of $100 bills in your pocket. You're, you go to work going, go ahead, ask me something. I, I know stuff. I, I know stuff. What's going on in the world? I know. It's like, why is it so bad? I know. What's going to happen in the future? I know. I'm like, I got the answer to that one too. It's like, you should have a little, you should have a little boldness when you know that the one true God, the only name under heaven that can save a man is, or a woman is the name that you, is the one you know when you know him. That's pretty sweet. 
Verse 14. Seeing the man who is healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. He just can't argue with that. When they commanded him to leave the council, and they, could, they conferred to one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them, and it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. I just love that. Their, their problem is, they said, we have a problem. What's the problem? He healed that guy, and everybody saw it. So irritated. It's their problem. Can you imagine if they, if they brought the lame guy in, and they go like, hey, how you doing? He goes, I'm doing great, man. I'm working. I took my daughter on a walk the other day. We like walked. I've never done that before. I was out in the backyard, and my boys wanted to throw a ball, and I threw a ball. I ran and got it. They were like, that's a problem. That is a problem. He's like, it's not a problem for me. It's, and, and, and my sanctified imagination is running away with itself. Verse 17, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, they decided, they're conferring, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. Let's tell them, you say that name and we are going to cancel you and all of your people. You can't say that name around here. That's going to be illegal. No naming the name of the one who rose from the dead around here anymore. <laughs> the Lord emphasizes it with, the, with a chime. That must have been really important what I just said right there. Yes, I, no more. Don't say the name. Going to happen to you. What's going to happen to you? You say whatever you want. Just don't start saying Jesus. I mean, you can talk about hippie Jesus all day, you know, a false, distorted version of who Jesus is. But the, but the Jesus in returning in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who don't believe him, that Jesus, you talk about him, the one whose name is the exclusive name by which everyone on earth that gets saved must get saved. You start talking like that, you're going to get canceled. Somebody's going to take exception. Verse 18, they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So what did Peter do? <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, you got it. He preached to them, Peter and John answered them, well, whether it's right in the sight of God, this, notice his immediate awareness wasn't of them and their austere company, but of God. To listen to you rather than to God, you judge. Now, these were civil magistrates, but they were also religious leaders he's talking to. He's kind of up in their business. Well, you can decide whether I should listen to you or God. He says to them, and when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. 40 years old, suffering, set free, and a religious group is against it. One of the ways for you to have greater boldness and for me to have greater boldness is spend time with Jesus, know who he is. People that have intimacy with Jesus are bold. They're just like, wait a minute. I'm going to answer to God. That's who I really am essentially concerned about, not you. 
And so I'm going to speak the truth. There's a second thing, and it comes out of what happens next. When Peter and John, they go back, and they're going to have a meeting. Uh, you, you see this? Um, Peter and John go back in verse 23. They released and they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God. I like that. Hey, um, they are threatening us never to speak in the name of Jesus again, but they're not punishing us right now because we're popular. But, you know, the, the, the implication being when we're no longer popular, as soon as they can, they're going to punish us if they get away with it. This is what they're going to do. So what does the church say? They say, well, we better what? Better pray. And then you have this beautiful prayer. Can I read it to you? This is how it begins. Sovereign Lord. That means the one who's in control of everything. The ultimate one in control of everything. Sovereign Lord. Who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Let's get back to the basics. Who made everything? This sovereign Lord. Through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage? Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. Sovereign Lord, we know that all this unjust thing that happened to Jesus was in your sovereign plan, your providential plan that you had mapped out. For the foundation of the earth, this is how they're praying. Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word. You reading this? You got your, you got your eyes on it? Look, look down at verse 29. Let's look at it together. Now, so they say, Lord, we know this is true about you. We know you made everything. We know that your Old Testament prophet said that People would rebel against your son, Jesus, and they have, and he was crucified and rose again. You know, they, you, what happened here happened according to your plan. We know that. So now what we ask is you look at their, uh, on their threats and grant to your service that we would continue to speak. Yeah, give us boldness, they said. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that good? I like it. They, they didn't say, Lord, what, now we're praying that they change their minds and they don't persecute us. They sort of expected, I think, to get persecuted. They said, okay, we're going to need boldness now. So we know that you are God. We know that you made everything. We know that sending your son and him dying and being crucified and rising again was a part of your sovereign plan. So now we're going to need boldness. Second thing, first thing, you want boldness, spend time with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus will make you bolder. He says, okay, he is, he is. Second thing is think and study on who God is. Think and do theology. Learn, let your soul feast on who God is. Here they are talking about God as the, as the creator of everything. God as the controller of everything. God is the, the, the power behind everything, the ultimate one. They're, they're, they're talking theology about God the Father, and they're saying, since this is true, give us boldness. Intimacy with Jesus, give you boldness. Knowledge of God the Father 
will give you boldness. My goodness, we could go on about that. But look at verse 31. You see the third one. When they prayed, this is, this is kind of cool. What happened? When they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. <laughs> this happened before. When they prayed, the place was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Because you speak the word of God with boldness when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Why are we shy? Maybe we haven't been spending time with Jesus. Maybe we're unconvinced about who God is. Maybe we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. How can we be bold? Spend time with Jesus. Study who God is. Go forward in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which he promised that he would give to all those who ask for him. Hmm. God. Let me ask you a question. What, what is somebody, I mean, aren't you glad that somebody had the boldness to tell you and your family who Jesus is? Somebody somewhere one day crossed the street and invited your family to church. Somebody somewhere one day said, no, you know, I don't think you have that right. Here's what the Bible really says. Somebody somewhere one day said, I know your people have gone to church, but I think you might have missed the point. And then the gospel enlightened them, and then they got saved, and then you got saved. And aren't you glad somebody was bold enough to risk it? What would happen in your life, in my life, maybe this week, maybe next week, if we found it in our hearts to go, well, since Jesus is real, and I love him, since God is the one who made everything, and since I have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to just go ahead, and I'm going to put the name of Jesus in my conversation. I'm going to invite somebody to church. I'm going to point them to a website. I'm going to hand them a gospel tract. I'm going to give them a Bible. What might, who, who's out there in your circle of influence waiting for you to do that? Who needs the law of God taught to them? My daughter, Hope, and I were together the other night for a little party. She's a nail tech, you know, so she talks with people all day, every day. And she's talking about a, a friend that she loves that, that doesn't need to be saved because she doesn't really ever do anything that bad. You know anybody like that? They just never did anything that bad, so why would they need to be saved? I said to Hope, I said, you know, you, if you've been giving her the gospel, yeah, she said, I said, you, maybe you need to teach her the law because people often aren't really hungry for the gospel until they've been taught the law. And there was a generation that was pretty well taught in the law of God. And this generation, perhaps not, not to put them down, just to say unconvinced they're not guilty, why would the sweet water of the gospel be sweet to their thirsty soul if their soul isn't thirsty because they don't feel guilt and they just need somebody to teach them the God? Did you know that we have an obligation, a responsibility to, to, to teach the law to 
be a prophetic voice in a culture, and then to bring the answer and to give the gospel. I'm not just talking about bickering and arguing. I'm talking about getting people into a place where you can skillfully teach them what God says is right and wrong. And this is something the Lord's put on my heart for myself and I think for you too. I think I'm going to I'm going to horn swoggle you into this one too. Like you're going with me on this. I'm going over the edge. I'm taking you with me. I have a burden on my heart, a sense of direction from the Lord that I want to spend a couple weeks talking about before we launch into Luke. And this is one of them. I've been praying about our church, our area, our city, our township. Let me put it directly. I think God is nudging me Ken, to invite more people. Just that simple. Just to boldly invite more people. I love what we did today. I love the singing and the love that was expressed and the beautiful atmosphere that we have. And, and there are those who wouldn't understand it, but there are many who just don't really understand what they are missing, and I want to invite more of them. So I'm going to do a couple things. First, I'm going to personally invite more people. In order to be a good leader, I'm going to be accountable to a partner that I meet with every week and I'm going to tell him how it's going and let him hold me accountable and he's good at that. Second, I'm going to nudge and challenge and inspire some of you to join me. I know everyone won't do this, but I want to, I want to build a little team of people who are, who are devoted to being more inviting. Just going to talk about this for a couple of weeks here at Bethel because I believe that God will give us a special fruit because there are people out there who are waiting to be invited, whether they know it or not. I prayed about this the other morning. Got up early. I was praying. You know, I, I passed a special birthday, and I'm supposed to be an old man now. But I'm resisting that, and I'm like, I'm not going to just go off into the sunset I'm going to take prisoners with me when I go off into the sunset. <laughs> like, I know I'm old as all get out, but you know what? I still got a bullet in my gun. <laughs> and so I just feel kind of, that's the feeling I have because the AARP keeps sending me mail. <laughs> and I'm sort of irritated by that. And so I'm just going to go out and invite more people. You know, I, I can't move fast, but I'm going to keep moving. Yeah. I'm going to invite more people. And I'm like, hey, I just felt that was of the Lord. So I went to get lunch at Subway. And it's two in the afternoon, so it's kind of quiet. And I walk in, there's two boys. One young man is having his break, the other's behind the counter. And I wanted to kid around and go, break's over, boys, the customers are here. But I decided maybe I better, they don't know me, so I better not say it that way. So I just go walking in, they like, how are you today? I go, fine, how are you doing today? And the kid, the young man behind the counter is real polite. And he goes, well, thank you for asking. And after a while, he says to me, so where, where are you on your way to today? And I said, well, I said, there's a yellow brick building down the end of that road north of here. It's a church, and I'm the pastor of that church. And he, got, he just stops what he's doing, and he looks at me like, no. <laughs> and he looks at me, and I'm like, you know, really nice, polite young man. He's like, no, can I ask you a question? I've always wanted to ask a pastor this question. I go, okay. He says, can you be like, believe in God, 
but like not go to church? Oh, that's a great question. I say, no, you go straight to hell and fry forever. <laughs> you laughed. At no, I didn't say that. I said, no, yeah, no, you can. Sure you can. Sure you can. Yes. But here's what will happen. If you believe in God, God, you know, who is holy. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And if we believe, then we're born again and we have eternal life and our sins are forgiven. And then we're going to want to read the Bible. And when we read the Bible, <laughs> when they read the Bible, we're going to see, oh, we're supposed to go to church because we got people there we need to encourage and people are going to encourage us and we're going to learn things. I said, when you get to know God, you're going to want to go to church. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's okay. That makes sense, he says. And we, I give him my card. We exchange some uh, conversation. And I, here's why I think that I bumped into this young man who was just so very open. Here's why I think. I'm sure of it. God is confirmed. Even though I can't hear as well as I used to hear or move as fast as I used to move, God still speaks to me. God, in the stillness of my heart, as I was reading my Bible and praying in the morning, nudged my heart, invite more people. Don't got to do magic tricks, Ken. Just invite more people. Don't have to have dancing girls and smoke on the stage. Just invite more people. You don't have to be hipper and cooler. You don't have to wear skinny jeans. Please don't wear skinny jeans. Just invite more people. And invite other people to invite more people. And all of them won't do it. Of course, they're shy, but some of them will. And the ones who do will always be glad they did. Isn't it good? I, I like that. And so God help us to be teachers of the law and heralds of the gospel. Tom Harmon was preaching at Barakel last weekend. I listened in because they recorded it. And this week I listened in. And one of the things that Tom said at Barakel last week, it was like, made me think he was given a public invitation. He said, there might be one guy here that's lost out of these 300 guys that are here. There might be one guy out here, Tom Harmon. He's a, he's a case. He's a special case. Anyway, a dozen guys, was it, how many guys was it? And how many guys came forward then? 15 guys. 15, and they were gray hairs except one. Either to get saved or to rededicate their lives, but a number of them were, were made a profession of faith. But here's what Tom said, and it made me think, I'll just pass on this little tidbit I got from my friend to you. He said, in the Bible... When the, when the gospel was given publicly, there was a challenge to respond publicly. That's interesting. That's interesting. You go through the scriptures, you see that often, asking for a public response. We want to be bold. God, give us boldness. Help us to know that Jesus is who he said he is by personal experience with Jesus. Help us to study deeply who God is until our hearts are full with the queen of the sciences, theology, study of God. Help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit because if these things are true, we're going to be bolder. And help us to invite to our house, to a concert, to a film, to our church, people who are far from God. And be bold. I, I was so shy one time. <laughs> you believe this? I'm usually not shy. Okay, but, but there are times. There are times. It's rare. But it was in Columbus, Ohio. And I went to the hospital. And there was a guy that had been involved in an automobile accident. And they asked me to go see him. Went with one of the deacons of our church. And we go walking in there. 
And it was a big room full of high-level medical people. And I was a very young guy, and I was super intimidated. And it was real severe and real sober and really quiet. It was kind of a life-and-death thing or machines beeping, people coming and going. Everyone was talking in hushed terms. And now I'm walking in, and everybody looks at me like, what's this guy going to say now? Okay, put yourself in that situation. Are you a little nervous right now? Okay, I, I was, a, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a sanguine, uh, I, I'm outgoing, but like, maybe you wouldn't have been nervous, you're a nurse, right? But I was nervous because all those smart nurse people were there, you know, that's what I'm saying. And so I'm like, ah, oh. and here, and you know, my, my thoughts are like, oh, I know, they're going to go, this is a religious fanatic that's going to talk, you know, pie in the sky, and we're trying to save this guy's life. Anyway, I gave Louis Schellenbarger the gospel that night, and he couldn't speak, but he could nod and grunt and affirmed that he believed and gave his wife, April, a tract, and then I left. And that night he died. And later on, I found out his wife went down to the chapel and read the tract and prayed to receive Christ. In the summer of 17, I was traveling in Ohio, and I looked him up. Not Lewis, he's with the Lord but April and her son, Wesley, and they came to a camp where I was speaking. And I thought, man, I'm glad that I was bold that night up in a hospital when I was so afraid that I was going to look bad and be embarrassed. One day, if you are bold, when the Spirit tells you to be bold, you will be glad that you were, because there's nothing like it anyway. How beautiful is that? How sweet is that? That boldness that God gives us. I would invite you, if you are not saved, to come to Jesus today. We have prayer partners that will be here. I'll just stay in the front with them today. And if you're here today and you aren't really sure, we'll have a conversation with you. We'll have a quiet conversation with you. But we bold you, be boldly, warn you and call you to come to Jesus. If you're not sure, come forward at the end of our service. And we're going to have a word of prayer right now. And we're going to stand and we're going to bless you. Would you stand? And we're going to say a blessing over you as our, our little custom to do that and say a blessing. And then as the music plays and folks go that way, I just want to invite you to come this way. That may be some of you maybe want to reach out this week and say, hey, pastor, consider me on the, on the inviting team. I'll have some special stuff for you. Consider me on the inviting team. I'll ask you, what's what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask you to get a partner to hold you accountable in a gentle, sweet way, in a brotherly, sisterly way, hold you accountable that we would just warmly invite more people to church, to Christ, into the circle of light. And uh, we have appropriately aligned a missionary to come and to he's a professional inviter guy and flies around inviting people to uh